celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora. Turanga is an artist, a multi-instrumentalist musician, and an advocate for the inclusion of traditional Māori culture and traditions in contemporary Aotearoa, New Zealand, and abroad. He's gained significant presence as a cultural content creator, using social media platforms to educate others about his intricate muku markings and the many lessons to be shared about the Māori culture and Te Reo Māori language. My first introduction to Tūranga came through my father. He's followed Alien Wifrini for years, and this band embodies great pride in their craft with music and their culture, and they have an incredibly unique message to their music. It is with great pleasure that I welcome Tūranga Morgan Edmonds to Tall Poppy Talk. Kia ora. how are you today? Kia ora. I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> me too, and a little question, we talked about it earlier, but where are you right now? Yeah, I'm currently in, um, playing with Guns N' Roses in two days, Wellington first and then Auckland again. We come back to Auckland, so I'm sitting in a hotel room. We've just been doing our pre-production, you know, making sure all our gear's up, to, up and running. And we um, had our crew fly out from Belgium, so we're also making sure that they had time to adjust and stuff, so... Belgium, okay. What they got in today or yesterday? No, they got in. Um, hmm, what's today? Uh, they got here last Thursday. Wicked. So they've had uh, nearly a week, you know, to acclimate. <laughs> Absolutely. And obviously, as you said, just so much happening, so much awesome stuff. Taking the time to speak to me today, I cannot thank you enough. And I'm really excited for this conversation. So just to get into it, You've talked online a lot about this notion of generational survival effort that piqued my interest. And that ties into the very core of Alien Weaponry's purpose, which is to keep multiculture alive and thriving, emphasis on thriving. So please, could you provide myself and our listeners with some more insight into what you and your band are driven by? Yeah, so the band, I mean, uh, the, the band's um, creation happened many years before I was ever a part of it um so actually uh our youngest is 21 but I believe that the band really started to come into fruition when he was probably nine or ten I think I'm not totally sure on that um so that's by the two brothers Henry and Lewis um and they grew up uh well they grew up speaking Te Reo Māori they were uh, their father is Māori um Te Arawa, I'm pretty sure from Rotorua and um they grew up in Te Ao Māori and they just grew up speaking the languages. And then as they had to progress into um, like the public school system, I guess, um, they lost their language. They lost it. They speak English. Um, uh, and so when they started creating Alien Weaponry as a band when they were very young, uh, it was the Smoke Free uh, or Pacifica Beats, I think the competition was called, which is like an offshoot of the Rock Quest that is uh, Polynesian based. And one of the requirements was to write a song in whatever your uh, native tongue is, whether it's, you know, Samoan or Māori or whatever. And so being Māori, they wrote their first song in Māori and then that sort of was very popular and they found huge success. And then they found out that, like, I guess, um, sonically, that your Māori works really, really well with heavy metal uh, and, and the rhythms and sounds of heavy metal. Um, and so it allowed them to then create... Uh, or, or find success in telling our stories, telling our truths, our history, the good and the bad. Um, and then it's been just on this strong 
strong uh, incline for the past, I would say, I think I've only been doing it for two years now, or just over two years with them, but they probably have been doing that for, I think, six or seven, I think. Um, and so it's just been uphill for them and then being able to tell their family stories and, and some of the more tragic history within uh, the old Māori or things that have happened to Māori um, in history and allowing us to, uh, yeah, really show people all over the world. That's really what's been the incredible part about it is not just being able to do it here, but being able to spread that knowledge and those truths all around the world. And then that has tracked over to uh, since me joining and then me finding uh, my own personal uh, success, so to speak, on the social media platforms and being able to continue that message that is the core message of the band, uh, but on my own kind of, and then hand in hand, it's just sort of works really well, you know. That's beautiful. And I know you joined, you say two years ago, 2020, there was a bit of an audition process to get in. What drew you to Alien Weaponry? Well, funnily enough, uh, I was actually, I'd already been in bands with the boys before. Uh, we went to the same high school in that when we were younger. Um, so they knew me as a, I auditioned for the bass part, but as you mentioned before, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I'd never actually played bass before, but uh, Henry, the drummer, he knew me as the guy that can play a few instruments. So he's like, should we just ask too if he wants to audition? And so Henry asked, I was actually studying at university at the time, um, but we had, I think we were at the end of the first lockdown when the first lockdown oh, yeah. happened here. Um, and he's like, oh, hey man, you know, uh, are you still at uni? Like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I've got uh, nine months or something left. I can't remember how, how long I had left. It wasn't very long at all. And he said, well, um, would you like to audition to take over the bass spot? I said, oh, I've never played bass before. He said, oh, that's all right. I'm sure you can figure it out. And if you're good enough, then we'll figure it out from there. So I had to go to the shop. The minute we came out of lockdown, I bought a bass, just the cheapest one I could find, because I was like, I I'd need a bass for the audition. Did like a did it like this, filmed it on my yeah. laptop in my living room. It was real strange. I had to perform like I was performing for a whole crowd in my living room. Um, and then they were like, I don't actually know how many of us there were in total because they didn't just ask me. Um, and then they said, Oh, yeah, you've made the top three choices or whatever. We'll fly you to Auckland to do an actual sort of audition with the band I guess because um, it had been a few years since I'd played with Henry uh, Henry was in our high school bands um, did that and then got the call I guess a week later that was like yeah sweet that's you I was like cool what next he's like well you got to come home for a start I was in Wellington um, so had to come all the way back up north here to Whangarei and uh, that's where I've been for the past two years <laughs> and I know the music scene in Wellington must have kept you on it but I'm just so impressed with the transition to bass and just embracing it. Very cool. Um, <laughs> leads in a little bit to my second question. So music, you say you've always been about it, multi-instrumental. And Te Reo Māori is very obviously important from you from what I see in your cultural content. Have they always been intertwined or was it when you joined Alien Weaponry that they became together? I guess it depends on how you look at it because really music has always up until this point uh, purely only been a hobby of mine. I, I actually, for the most part, I used to hate, <laughs> which I laugh at now. 
I would hate performing for people. I didn't want to play piano for my aunties when they came home. I definitely didn't want to play at the school, uh, you know, the school talent shows or whatever. I hated performing for people. Uh, I loved music. I loved performing it in the <laughs> sanctuary of my own bedroom. But outside of that, I, I was not a fan. Um, and so, I mean, I was at uni for design, so I wasn't doing music. It was not even on my radar whatsoever um, as a career. Um, but of course, growing up in a Māori household, uh, Māori as a people and as a culture, full of music, full of waiata, full of Māori songs, uh, you know, we all grew up with them, we sing them, we, uh, what's it called, um, you know, have dad's got a huge family, he's the oldest of 13, and they're all just singing away whenever we get the odd opportunity that we're all together, um, and so like Māori as a within Māori culture music has always been a part of my life, but I, I don't think I would say like in the context of Alien Rickery, I've been trying in my own time to innovate music through Māori because, well, that's because music wasn't really a focus of mine. Yeah. The design student makes sense from the artwork I've seen. And I know <laughs> yeah. if anyone finds you on socials and you definitely should, the designs you have are incredible. And I, also really enjoyed and we'll get to that probably later how you say they're not for tattoo purposes right if someone buys the designs let's keep them as that there's a sacredness and that training and all these things that go into creating designs that are actually going to be mukus on somebody's body and I found an article from you last December and you express in it that after you got your mataora you'd never felt more comfortable in your skin. That was the quote that really grabbed me. And after receiving it from your muku artist and your mom, who also received her muku kowai, I just thought well, I need to hear more about that. Can you explain to me, it's that phrase you never felt more comfortable in your skin. What does pride mean to you and your whanau? Your mom was involved. Yeah, well, uh, especially in the context of moko, uh, I've talked about this on on um, Instagram before. There's a sort of a conversation or, or a thing we hear often, which is that moko is revealed. It's not sort of on the skin; it's revealed from beneath the skin. So it's something that us as Maori are, are always born with. And when the time is right, all it takes is an artist to bring it out and so when I say something like you know I've never felt more comfortable in my own skin it's kind of rooted in that that thought process there you say it's revealed how and I I've seen from looking at some of your content your artist it's so important so can you maybe explain to some of us who don't understand what that means what separates a muku artist from a tattoo artist yeah, right. So we have um, a, a word that we use as kaita um, or, or a tohunga ta moko, I guess, or a, an expert in moko. Um, and well, my particular moko artist, Lance Ngata, his knowledge and his expertise is handed through um, as a generational thing. So the actual information regarding moko uh, and the and the skill of applying or revealing, depending on how you look at it, um, is such a it's a, such a uh, very close kept <laughs> little locket of information that it's very hard to get your hands on unless you have been handed it down because it's the generational thing to do or you're someone who's um, uh, fortunate enough to 
be you know taken under the wing of a uh, Mughal artist and um every line every every detail that you see within Mughal be it facial or like this on my arms um is all information that comes from the artist so one thing that tends to surprise a lot of people particularly the international crowd is that us as people who receive Mughal have no say whatsoever in the design we have no control we rock up we sit down we talk with the artist you know he goes oh you know what have you sort of done with your life or, or what's your upbringing uh, what's your connections to your family and these sorts of things and and we talked for just under two hours and then he goes sweet I know all I need to know. I know where you're at in your current uh, journey, I guess. Lie down on the table and off he goes. And he, he draws it like with a, with a Sharpie first, right? To sort of make sure everything's looking good. And then he just gets on with it. Uh, I don't have any say. So he's like, if it, if it ends up being the whole face at once, it's the whole face at once. If it's only half, it's only half. You know, there's all these things that can be um, dependent on the time uh, that you get it done. Um, so that sort of information, same with same with mums who who did hers right after mine, um, is uh, very very difficult to come across. And uh, even those of us that wear it don't necessarily know. I mean, he explains it to us on the day, so I know personally what everything um, means. Um, but does it mean that I can apply it to someone else with the knowledge? No, because this one's unique to myself. So you know, and so it doesn't even necessarily mean that I can look at somebody else's and be like, yeah. I know exactly what that is. No, there are certain elements. There are certain elements that are sort of a, a stock standard, um, that which is kind of cool when you learn that to be like, oh, that's cool. Now I can see it in, in the other ones, you know. Um, but no, it's it's uh, it's pretty special. And that ties into pride, right? Like for you and your fine out, are they involved when the tattoo? I don't want to say when the tattoo is taking place because it's being revealed. Is there a term? for that process yeah i mean kind of what you said really i guess that i, okay. I bet there's a term in maori but I, I don't know it off the top of my head but my family were absolutely there they're not necessarily involved in the conversation that is personal between me and the artist but i mean yeah. they uh well i had someone holding my hands for <laughs> taking shifts so I, I i took a relatively small group though some uh papa as they call them which is sort of like big uh, gatherings of whānau that will get lots of moko done over the course of a week maybe so an artist will travel out to a marae and he'll just do moko uh, for days on end for a yeah. big group of people that's quite a very popular way to do it um, we opted for the more quiet and private uh, route which was just me my mum my dad my younger brother uh, my cousin slash best friend and we actually have a sort of uh, unofficially adopted American uh, friend that we have uh, befriended in the past few years. Um, and so we invited him along to just experience something that he would have never experienced before. Um, so we had a very nice little close uh, close group in our studio. And we just did it at, at his personal studio. Because um, I know too, uh, not, it's not always the case, but you know, I like to try and make it easy for the artist himself as well. And most artists are more comfortable in their own space, you know. So we we made the trip to Turangi, which is a five six hour drive, I think, from Whangarei, you know, um, and just did it there. It, and it was just a day session. It was great. Um, 
but yeah, so I had, they were taking shifts, holding my hand, especially when it started to get to the end of the day, you know, it was starting to really hurt. We were really all gripping there. <laughs> oh, I bet. And to have your American friend connection there, that would have been so special for them. And for you and your bandmates, as you travel the world, I mean, you said you had some of your team coming in from Belgium. You're sharing your music at these festivals, at these places all over the world. And I know that the music and the message is being really well received globally, more so than Aotearoa New Zealand sometimes. Like it's being yep. absorbed and adopted. How do those experiences when you're playing to people or just traveling and having your American friend get in, but primarily playing overseas, how does that compare to playing at home? One thing that happened very recently, actually, in the uh, we were in Europe uh, three months ago, two or three months ago, um, and we toured uh, twenty countries, I think. Uh, but Spain, yeah. we were in Spain. We were playing a festival, a resurrection fest in Spain. Um, the crowd's probably fifteen to twenty thousand, is my guess. And we were playing our most popular song, Kai Tangata. And I'm sitting there and, and it's a very melodic chorus if anybody's heard that song. So it's quite uh, singable, I guess, like it's easy to sing yeah. along to. And I'm and I'm there playing on stage and I'm like, because we wear those in-ear in things on stage that block out oh. all the noise and they just give us um, like our click tracks and stuff in our ear. But I'm, I can just hear outside of it. I'm like, is that the crowd? And so I actually popped out, it was the last song. So I just popped out my my thing and I just stood there playing and I was listening to this crowd, 20, yeah, 15, 20,000 Spanish people singing their absolute hearts out in Tereo Māori. I've never heard anything like it other than like at Matatini or something, you know, uh, an actual kapahaka competition. But at our show, a sea full of people singing wow. in Tereo Māori. And I was like, man, this is pretty, you know, that's a moment to be proud of. It was, it was my highlight, one of my highlight moments of the shows of that um, most recent tour. Um, and I said, man, you know, the dream would be, be, be to be able to have that here because we definitely don't have that here, you know. Um, whether that comes from, well, we don't have enough Māori in our crowds because heavy metal in general is not predominantly something that Māori in, in this country listen to. Uh, heavy metal in general really is not a huge Kiwi thing anyway. But then potentially the non-Māori that are in the crowd, you know, are, are uh, nervous or uh, they might have their own hang-ups or, or worries about uh, singing Māori in the crowd. You know, oh, we don't want to get it wrong or something like this, where, of course, people overseas, they, they don't have any, they're just so happy to be there and doing it that they don't have that sort of barrier. Yeah. Um, and it. And then what really got me about that moment was when you then go and take photos with these people and they don't even speak English. So I'm like, man, not only did they not speak English, but then they were just there singing in Tereo Māori like they have been speaking it their entire life, which was pretty cool. So that was that's a pretty powerful moment that was very unique and a huge juxtaposition to what we see here in, in, in Aotearoa, you know. We do have some great moments here with our crowds. Like, it's, it's especially cool to see Māori that come up to us after the show and go, I never listened to heavy metal ever. I've never been to a heavy metal concert, but I just like what you guys do. And you'll see them in the crowd too, like because if you recognize some of the standout people that in, in the crowd energy that are just going crazy, they might be doing pukana at us or something cool, right? And you go, man, that's pretty cool. And then you see them later in the thing and they're like, ah, it's my first heavy metal concert. I don't even listen to metal. I just like you guys. That's, that's always pretty cool. That's those moments where you're really touching people and both in situations, even if it's just someone approaching you or hearing mass noise, 
how do you do you write it down how do you not decompress but kind of digest that moment as a band but also as yourself to know you're having that impact on someone how do you step back off stage after hearing 15 20,000 people singing at you yeah I mean I don't know how 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 the boys uh you know process it on their end but for me I just I just sort of one I just enjoy it in the moment which is yeah. and the best thing about being on stage is is you don't you can't do this <laughs> like as a performer you can't pull out the phone to film the fans doing it because you're already busy playing so you can really just sit there and absorb that in its real moment you know and especially in that song because it's our last song it's so easy it's second nature i'm also not really having to think about it on the scene so that moment when i could just pull my ear out i could really just sit and absorb it um and then normally it's it's sort of immortalized because then when you're doing the rest of the shows for the next two months and you're doing all these interviews and people go what's your highlight moment so far and then that same those same sort of moments come up you know anything all the highlight moments are always fan oriented you know because they're just so powerful and like a moment like that is so powerful that there's no way that's uh getting getting lost in the memories it's impossible it's such a standout thing and then you know we come back here and we did the we were at the um Aotearoa Music Awards like a few weeks ago yeah and we're talking to all the other Kiwi but Maori musicians um and sharing these same stories with them and them just going you know oh that must be something amazing to see you know they can only dream of it here you know we can only dream of that same thing happening here and, and this is our own country uh, it always comes with a little bit of sadness there is an element of sadness in that you know seeing other musicians even go man I wish we could have that here you know I'm like why can't we why can't we have that here you know <laughs> I'm sure we yeah. can that's what you guys are creating as a band as yourself you're leveraging what is this social present, this social movement and drawing people in. And it's, it's so positive. It's so uplifting. And those experiences, like I'm smiling when I'm hearing you say that, because I'm just picturing myself being you and taking your ear, earpiece out. You're like, what? Hearing that in, yeah. like, that's, that's crazy. Um, and that's a rare moment, like a lot of high performers, because you're a high performer, right? If they're in athletics, they might not see that. Like you're staring at the crowd and, after a lot of what I assume you guys do and when you're, you don't call it training, you're practicing, right? Like practicing the music, recording, doing all these things. It's you and your own little bubble. And then to go out and realize like, oh, shit, my bubble's huge and it's overseas and I'm in Spain and they're going back. It's just a moment that I'm so glad to hear and share that and from you. And it ties in this question I have and I'm asking everyone who I'm interviewing it's the genesis of what got me going on this topic of tall poppy talk is in New Zealand and abroad tall poppy syndrome. It's a thing. And I just want to ask you how you would define it. And if you feel like you've experienced it or seen it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I actually quit in my own personal time, uh, actually the band uh, being a Kiwi Aotearoa based band are quite familiar with, and it's actually a topic that is brought up within the band in our own personal time quite often, you know, um, okay. especially when we're trying to explain it to our international crew, particularly Americans who are like, it's a totally foreign concept to most of the Americans we talk about. And they're going, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And you're saying, well, you know, 
there's this very fine line of balance about being successful but not never being too successful because then they start to they start to beat you down again about it you know and this, this sort of conversation and yeah. and we definitely see it the band has experienced it as a band uh, i was talking to mum before i have apparently out of my memory now but also experienced it in my own personal life growing up you know uh, uh, she was saying i was um i was always a very good kid successful kid in school and stuff and they wanted to put me through their gifted programs and apparently the principal said like why can't he just be bad you know I don't why, why can't he just misbehave for some you know and I'm like well, why, why, when would a principal ever wish that a child is misbehaving you know it's peculiar um and I, well in sports department I, I used to be uh, a very competitive and a very successful competitive swimmer um i held all these records and gold medals and stuff so we definitely also saw it in that department yeah. um and then of course if you start to be someone who finds success in multiple areas as well not just one area but if you you know you were doing well in school and then you're also a very successful athlete or you're doing this and you're doing that then you really give people reason to start to bring out that that sort of conversation um, but it's it's actually something that the band talks about quite often and we have experienced it um, we definitely notice how interactions can be different I guess amongst fans even here versus overseas and my guess is it's rooted around the sort of tall poppy mindset yeah that's uh, exactly as you described it it's let's be good but maybe not too good and what I find particularly interesting in your situation is not only are you successful in multiple things, I've seen your design work, your music, your personality online, like you're, you have a persona, it's contagious, but you're factoring into that, this Maori culture, which a lot of people, Pakihas in New Zealand or whoever it may be, sometimes find this discomfort as you said, like, oh, am I pronouncing it wrong? I'm in the crowd. I don't want to speak. And so some of this tall poppy is coming in as, I don't know if it's insecurity from people as they, they want you guys to be doing well, but it maybe makes them a little uncomfortable. How much do you think the te reo Māori element of alien weaponry factors into that tall poppy experience? Well, I think a big thing that we see here, and this is that, like you said, it's that balance of being successful because but they're not being too successful. Uh, one thing we see, um, well, Māori as a culture, as a people, uh, it's quite heavily rooted in the culture. I mean, even well before colonization or, or any colonial contact was about being humble, right? Um, yeah. Never speaking your own praise and, and all these sorts of things. And um, I think sometimes, of course, people find that they seem to get the, success doesn't mean you're no longer humble you know um, you can be successful and humble but I think some people blur that line between success instantly meaning that you have lost all humility um, and so because alien weaponry is so heavily Maori oriented we do tend to see every now and then on the Facebook comments or wherever social comments from other Maori going oh you know watch out now you know don't don't it's cool that you guys are playing overseas, but, you know, don't forget where you've come from, this sort of thing like that. And I was like, well, we never forget where we come from. We still live here for a start, you know. We're, we're not going yeah. anywhere. Um, but they start to 
as you start to see that incline, then you start, it, as it says, be successful. Successful enough to play in Z. But now that you're playing overseas, oh, don't forget where you've come from. You know, you're getting too successful. So that that's a tricky, tricky line to walk, particularly as well, because we don't, as our personal band, don't have the luxury of being uh, successful enough in our own home country to just play in our home country. Yeah. Right? And the reason we're playing overseas is because that's how we keep the music coming, you know. Um, but of course, I think lots of people like to hope that music is just about making the music. But unfortunately, if you <laughs> want to get more than one album out of us, we have to make a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, Wicked. I don't know if you've, uh, you follow Israel Adesanya. He's a New Zealand-Nigerian UFC yep. fighter. 2017 Halberg Awards, he talks about tall poppy syndrome. And that's when it really hooked me. And he says, you know, people don't think I'm humble. I'm extremely humble. I'm just confident. I'm paraphrasing his brilliant speech. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I see embodied with you. And it, it just draws me in. It's like, you're confident in what you're doing and your message. And when you said like in that article from December, you're comfortable in your skin and you're confident and you're surrounded by those people. It's, it's remarkable. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that and oh, being a literal tall poppy. It's, it's so inspiring and feeds into uh, another question I had, you've grown this major online presence, right? With people inquiring about Maori culture, New Zealand, Q&As, you educate people with a lot of knowledge and calmness and people are just seem really eager and keen to learn more from you. How do you embrace people's curiosity? What got you, where was the idea to be like, I'm going to do Q&A's with people or I'm going to welcome this curiosity well actually it was totally random I had uh we had our band TikTok and we were just doing our, our usual band stuff um and then I was like oh I better make a personal one so that if I'm because at, at the time I was honestly just scrolling or using the band's TikTok to browse TikTok as a consumer and I was like ah oh, I better make my own so that I'm not you know messing around on the on, on the band's page then I made my own and then uh, me and mum went and got our moko done. And then uh, a week later, a trend that was involving moko showed up. And I went, oh, that looks cool. I'll just do that. Yeah. So filmed the video. My the only thing other than band stuff I'd ever posted on TikTok. And then it was, it blew up, you know, got 5 million views of the first post I ever did on TikTok. And I went, whoa, that's strange. And then, I posted a second video because it was an, a sort of extending on the trend and same deal, six million views or something. And I went, what the heck is going on? And then then all the questions started coming, of course, from the people who were like, well, what the heck is that on your face? So I made the very first like Q&A video and it got 12 million views. And I went, whoa. And then that is what got the initial, I think that first week or two was... 250,000 followers I think in like this first week of being on TikTok and I went what the heck um, and then that basically kicked it off I said well I've got all this these followers do I do anything with it do I just let the viral be viral and call it quits you know do I want to be yeah in this because it's sort of a, it's quite a big thing and it's definitely changed how I approach social media in general now um but 
there was just so many questions and so much curiosity. And while, yeah, the majority of my audience is international, for me, my main purpose, and this is what drove me to keep doing it, because yes, it's cool, and I'm all totally fine um, explaining it to those that are not Maori and are from around the world, and they just want to learn more, and that's very cool to see. But every now and then, I'll get one message, maybe a couple messages from people in my DMs. Hey, man, I am Maori. I've been living in Australia all my life. I've never really been connected to the culture. I've never felt like I'm worthy of being connected to the culture, but your videos have made me realize otherwise. And now I am starting to learn or whatever, right? Those messages, that's it. That's right there. I was like, that is what I'm going to do this for. Yes, I can educate as many people as I want, but if I inspire our own people to reconnect to our world, our, our culture, um, and, and the number one of them all, which is a follow on from what my Moko artist um, told me when he did mine, um, was that he wished more young men like myself would get it done. Uh, a huge misconception that you have to be an older man to get it done. It's not true at all. And I was 22, I just turned 22. Um, and so then the number one message that I get is, hey man, I, just got my moko, like in regards, a mata I should say. I just got my mata order because of your videos, because of your content. Or I'm thinking about it, or even, to be fair, any form of moko. Because some Māori are so, um, feel so sort of un unworthy to receive any of it. Arms, body, anywhere. So honestly, if people just message me that, hey, your videos have made me feel confident enough to get moko done, I'm like, that's what it's all about. So I just keep doing it until I get those sorts of messages. And I'm like, there we go. I'm doing something then. <laughs> something, uh, not that it's not of substance otherwise, but that's really where what's kept me kept me doing it for the past year. It's nearly been a year. I'm a couple of weeks out of our year anniversary on TikTok. <laughs> doing Q&As for people. <laughs> that's crazy. That's blown up. But yeah, ultimately your drive is those one, two, those trickle in. Yeah. genuine like heading something you're, you're heading people's soul with that that's powerful would your mum ever feature has she featured on the tiktok she i she came in a couple of, i what i started doing too later in the year um more recently was doing the lives tapping into the lives yeah stream side of tiktok um, and she's popped in there a few times to explain she's she does um raranga, like Maori weaving and stuff. Um, and so when people ask, like, oh, I've seen all these beautiful cloaks that Maori people make. I said, well, I'll get mum in to talk about that because that's not my area of expertise. So she's popped in on a few things. I think she, I posted one actual TikTok of her, which was stuff about the day that she got hers done as well, um, which also went viral. <laughs> so that was, uh, but yeah. Wow. Thank you. And incredible family. It sounds like I have just one question left and I didn't prep you for this one. It's a little bit lighthearted classic. Um, if you could only have one meal left for the rest of your days, what's it going to be? Think breakfast, classic. lunch and dinner. What's it going to be? Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be raw fish or ikamata, which is just, the best it's got to be my dad's one specifically my dad's one i've had many okay. and none of them are as good or 
And this is normally my go-to. So this is when I come, when I would come home from university or I would come home from tour, um, wherever I've been, if I had to return back home to see mum and dad, lamb chops, it's lamb chops, lamb chops all day, every day. <laughs> Celery salt on top or just lamb chops? Just lamb chops. Just, just, just lamb a good chops. Cooked, cooked lamb chop. Wicked. Um, I could talk to you forever, but I'm conscious you're up to so much. I'm hoping everyone jumps on board, not only with you, but Alien with Renee. Good luck for the tours coming up. The thank you. momentum is just growing. And thank you for teaching me a lot. I hope my listeners hear a lot and just keep the momentum up. It's wicked. You're so inspiring. And thank you for joining me today on Tall Poppy Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. It's a great conversation to have and an important one to have. I think, as I mentioned earlier, it is a topic that me, I personally am passionate about anyway in my own time and definitely something that we experience here in this country. Anyone in this country experiences at some point. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube and the website. Thanks for today's guest.